This week on Jesus, Sex, and Politics, we've got some great guests in the studio. I'm going to sit down with Ryan McCann from the Indiana Family Institute. He's a lobbyist, and he's pushing for good faith and family values in the state of Indiana. And our good friend John Crane, the state senator from Hendricks County and Putnam County here in Indiana. He's going to talk about what's going on with the Republican Party in Indiana and how can we as the conservative movement be more effective, be more thoughtful, and actually approach the issues in a way that gets the all moving down the field. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Share it with your friends. Tell your family. Even tell your liberal aunt about it who doesn't like conservative values because she just hasn't been enlightened yet because she needs it just as much as the rest of the world does. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's go. Hey, welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah. Nathan's not here today, but we're still going to talk about all those things that culture doesn't want to talk about. That will scare you. All right, so here we got in the studio two really amazing guests today. We've got Senator John Crane and Ryan McCann, the director of Indiana Family Institute. Guys, thanks for joining us here in the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. How you doing today? Doing well. Great to be with you. Good, good. Thank you, Mike. Thanks yeah. for having us. Absolutely. Well, hey, so we're here at Life Church because we've got the Hoosier Leadership Series going on today. And John, you were speaking. Ryan, you're a part of uh, overseeing that. And um, we wanted to just kind of get with you, John and, and Ryan, and, and we wanted to ask, okay, where have we come from when it comes to legislation? There's been a lot of heat right in Indiana around the abortion bill. I mean, you could probably take it back even, even before that, but really this past special session, we, we got to really see this huge fight take place between the pro-life or pro-abortion and even the, the factions within each movement kind of coming out and and fighting hard for what they believe in, right? And so, John, you're right in the middle of that. And uh, Ryan, you're in the middle of that as well. But you're, you're kind of in the, the lobbyist side. John, you're in the legislative side. You're representing uh, the Hendricks County and, and uh, area. And what's yeah. your other? Putnam County. Putnam County, yeah. that's right. Yep. So give us a little bit. John, I want to start with you. Give us some, some of your thoughts on kind of the special session and then you know what? You're you're a strong conservative. I always yeah. tell people you're one of the good guys, even though you get bashed by Thank Rob by Rob Kendall that. on WIBC. <laughs> Rob, I think Rob and I are still friends. I'm still friends with. No, him. I think Rob likes you. I always tell Rob, I don't like know Rob, about that. I don't know if he likes me. But. He likes you. He just you know, and for you have the unfortunate uh, honor of being his senator. That's the only. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the problem there. But but no, tell us like, okay, what can we do as conservatives going forward to be more effective? You're thoughtful. You're very, you're very diplomatic. I've always appreciated that about you. You know how to kind of work with people who don't always see eye to eye on things. So what what could we do better? Yeah. So that's a great question, and of course that comes up every session. Um, <laughs> the special session that we just had, where we tackled a couple issues, especially the abortion issue, um, that was a truncated session. So it actually really created a very good case study and microcosm of some of the same things that we see when we're in a normal session. And uh, one of the things that I tell people, and I'm not even really joking, is that uh, when it came to politics, I used to have all the answers, and then I got elected to office. And it is a big shift when you step inside the, the Capitol and you're in the middle of the legislative process. I had to check myself in terms of the previous caricatures that I had of elected officials. I had to come in with a spirit of humility 
to say, okay, there are certain things that I, I know to be true and certain principles I want to follow. Um, but I also have to understand how the process works. And so I have, one of the things that I've done is some behind the scenes stuff and trying to come alongside new, new senators in particular and do some leadership development with them. And that's one of the things that I say right out of the gate. If you want to be successful here, you've got to understand how the system works in order to effectively work the system. Mm. And so you have to uh, check your ego at the door, in my opinion, if you're going to be help, uh, effective. You have to uh, check your expectations at the door, right? That's another one. If you're on the outside, it's like, well, we ought to just do. <laughs> you're not going to fix it overnight? Is that whatever, what you're telling yeah, me? Yeah, <laughs> right. Whatever the whatever the 50,000-foot solution is, and it's like, yeah, we, we do need to tackle that. Yeah. But, man, I mean – uh, we're at five feet, not 50,000, and we've got to figure out how to deal with the on-the-ground uh, implications. So um, it's hard because there's a lot of frustration from the outside, understandably so, but uh, we share that same frustration on the inside, and you're sitting there going, okay, how do we how do, we do this? I think that um, we have to do a much better job on our conservative side, our, our faith side, of um, understanding the issues, understanding the process, and figuring out how to work together towards some common cause issues. So it's kind of goes back to that passage in Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And I think that's kind of where we're at is people just don't even know what they don't know. I mean, so the process or even like Ryan, the issues. So IFI, you're, you're educating on the issues and you're very much leading in that charge in Indiana. But um, maybe, uh, you know, to, to you, Ryan, like what are some of the things that you see that are some of the big issues going forward in the conservative movement? Then I want to jump back to John and kind of ask, okay, how do we, uh, what would uh, legislatively, what would be effective and how could we people who are listening on the outside of the process, how could we help, you know, the, those on the inside? Mm-hmm. Well, Kind of what John talked about. He's he's in the inside. He's in the chamber, and I'm on the outside. You know, as a lobbyist and activist organization on the outside, we have a different role. Where John and all the members of the Senate and the House, they're dealing with during regular session. They're dealing with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bills, and we get to as activist organizations focus on a few that are in our wheelhouse of the issues that we care about and be experts on those and to help legislators understand what these bills would do and would not do and get to get to take a deeper dive into a number of these bills where the legislators, you know, it's a short session, um, even in a long budget year, it's, it's only a few months. And how many bills, John, do you typically have to read or un- somewhat yeah, so understand? People, I, I asked that question to, of course you have the, the annual groups of fourth graders that take their trip to the state house. Right. So that's always one of my favorite questions is to ask these little kids, like how many bills do you think that we file between the House and the Senate, and they're always like, 200? <laughs> it's like, well, it's a little higher than that. <laughs> and uh, on average, it's between 1,000 and 1,400 bills, depending on the session. Now, obviously, Dang. a lot of those don't even get a hearing, but they're filed, yeah. right? And so, I mean, I always tell people, imagine if they were only one page. Yeah. You're talking 1,400 pages of reading. <laughs> how how many pages? Not, how many oh, pa- it's anywhere from 5 to 75. Oh, man. You know, and it's just, uh, it, you have to figure out, when I say learning how the system works, yeah. you have to figure out when to read a bill, Yeah, right? Don't don't bother reading a bill that's not going to get a hearing. It's a waste of your yeah, time. Yeah, you don't have time, yeah. Uh, start with the bills that come to your committee and then go from there, right? Yeah. And so people don't understand that. And, of course, that would be a part that I would love to see, you know, um, the process and the organizational side where we put even stronger limits on that. So that it forces legislators to get even more serious about 
and we do have certain limits on how many bills that can be filed. But if we increase, if we if we uh, increase that limit or decrease the amount, mm-hmm. um, it forces legislators to go. Okay, if I I used to be able to have ten, and now I can only have five, then what are the five biggest issues that I really want to try to tackle? Is that a, is that leadership putting those parameters on it, or is that a statute? Like, um, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure. I think it's, uh, I think it comes from leadership ultimately, but not the immediate leadership. It's been in place. Okay. So it's part of the process. I think it's part of our rules. Um, I, I can't remember for sure, but it is, it's there. Yeah. And, uh, of course you have legislators that are in a bind, right? Because what you have also is a lot of constituents going, Hey, we need to solve X, Y, Z problem. And, you got a lot of people who have a lot of problems and, and you're going, okay, I want to show my people that I'm working for them. Right. And yeah. we're trying to address these. And how do you do it? You file a bill and get that bill going through the legislative process. Yeah. So it becomes kind of a catch 22 a little bit because yeah. we, we create the problem yeah. and then the internally you're going, okay, this is a mountain <laughs> of reading, you know, and it's not just like some really riveting, yes. riveting novel. It's like yeah. le- legalese. You're like, wow. You know what you need? Great. You need an audible for the Senate. So that way, like you can yeah. listen to the bills on audio, tape. Yeah. yeah audio. It's called the audio bill. <laughs> you can have someone like really nice, like bill 1422 read by John Craig. They need to have a British accent. Cause <laughs> we always like that. Right? That's right. That would be, you know, you can, you can listen to it while you're mowing your grass or something. Right. But yeah. yeah, the problem is so many of the bills, it's like they're, you know, striking or they're referring to other parts of the code. So that great voice would be like, Hey, uh, now on line three, we're referring to IC 15, 37, 25. Like, wait, what's that? That's and at the- that point, you fell asleep. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, man. So then, Ryan, you then will will highlight the maybe four or five bills after they've all been filed. These 1,400 bills have been filed. You'll go through and you'll say, okay, these are the tw- the five to 12 that IFI, Indiana, Indiana Family Institute, Faith and Family Values, we're going to get these ones through or we're going to fight these. I mean, do you do that too? Absolutely. Do you say, okay, these are the ones we're fighting yeah. that we're trying to stop? Right. So like, our legislative agenda would normally be somewhere between 15 to 18 bills. Okay. Some of those we would actually draft and create the language in the summer far ahead of time. Usually there's two or three bills that we've totally crafted and done everything with from the beginning and work with legislators far ahead of time. And then others, there's just others that people have introduced that we either support or oppose. But, um, you know, like the women's sports bill would be a great example. That was your bill, right? That was our bill. We worked with the Alliance Defending Freedom on helping create that language. We worked with legislators, you know, early in the summer to talk them through, hey, here's some model language. Was Christy Stutzman one of the key reps on that one early on? Years ago when she was in the House, you know, but then she resigned during COVID and everything. But, yeah, early on years ago, she was the first author. And then Michelle Davis, this past session, was the author that actually – you know, got, got it through. through. And so Michelle Davis and Chris Jeter was really involved. Joanna King, Bob Heaton. There was a, there were several state reps that we would meet with them early on and Hey, here's some, here's some language. What do you think? Oh, we need to tweak this area. So it would be months over the summer where we actually get some language we think would be ready to go. And then you get into December and actually kind of introduce the bill. Yeah. Um, and, and then you have a really short window basically from January through, it's got to get a hearing by the end of January or it's dead. Yeah. And that's not only our bill, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of other bills. How many committees are you on, John? <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm actually on six committees now. Wow. I and started how- on four. And then um, I, I was trying to get on the uh, 
Homeland Security, Transportation, and the Veterans and Military Affairs. That was always the one I kept asking to be on. My my hope was that if I finally got on that, then I could get rid of one of the other, like pensions and labor. <laughs> and uh, so I actually suggested that, but they just added me on the two uh, committees, these new committees. So for the last couple of years, I've been on six committees. Okay, and then each committee, how many bills will you see on average in the committee? Well, and that kind of depends on the committee, right? Okay. So you have some committees that are really active, like um, education. You have some that are less active. Um, and, and to put that in perspective, like <clears throat> to Ryan's point, uh, and I was just sharing this with the leadership series in here, um, you have to understand the parameters, right? So if you've got um, even just time parameters, because the, the legislative session, um, I describe it as a ball game, right? There's the first half, there's kind of a halftime intermission, and then there's the second half. Well, the first half, you're getting up. You're going to be up against certain deadlines on second reading or third reading, or you know, you got to get it out of committee. Well, if you know that, let's say in the the first half of session, you're going to have five committee hearings. I have been in rooms where we had sixty bills that were assigned to, say, education, and we could, if you're looking at it in the five committee hearings, realistically, what six bills a hearing, maybe? Yeah. Wow. You have to cut 30 bills right out of the gate. Dang. Not because they aren't important issues, mm -hmm. because you, you just don't, have, don't time. have time. Yeah. And so it's a matter of prioritizing all that stuff in light of all of the variables. And one of those that's just, you can't get around it, is these time constraints. And then you're just trying to... So would, that be, would that be the chairman of the committee ultimately is the one who's cutting? Is he taking his... Or her uh, stepping stone or notes from uh, the leader of the it's, caucus. Like, what's uh, there's a lot of latitude in my in my experience. Yeah. and I'm not the chairman, um, but I my sense is there's a lot of latitude for chairman. Okay, um, we are very much a chairman kind of grounded system. So, for example, we've had conversations in caucus where somebody brings up an issue late in session, and somebody else reminds everybody. Now, wait a second. Didn't the chairman decide not to hear that bit of information? And we respect the chairman's decision, so mm. we're not going to hear it now, right? Uh. That's that's what I mean. So you'll have you'll have uh, chairmen that are given enough latitude, and I think you know I've I've served under uh, Senator Jeff Rotz. He was the vice chairman under Senator De Dennis Cruz. We've had, mm. in my opinion, stellar yeah uh, Jeff yeah Dennis and know, Jeff leadership. are both great yeah, <clears throat> and and uh, Senator Rotz has. Uh, he's got a good working knowledge of all the complexity of the issues. And so he will be looking at all these things and going, okay, what's a priority, what's not? Uh, oftentimes he'll bring the Republican members of the committee together and say, okay. What do you want to do? Yeah. yeah. It's a team, team sport uh, way in. On occasion, you will have, and I, I think this is probably different in Indiana than other states and certainly at the federal level. On occasion, you will have the, the the Senate pro tem come in and go, either give that a hearing or no, we're not going to give that a hearing. But that isn't the norm. Yeah, that doesn't happen At too often in, in Indiana. Indiana. I'm sure and I am it does. Very grateful yeah. for that. I'm sure know? it does happen in other states, and probably yeah. I would guess in Congress with Nancy Pelosi or Chuck sure. Schumer, it's probably a little bit more like you do what they say if you're a chairman, or else you're going to lose your chairmanship because yeah. ultimately it's the pro tem or the House Speaker that appoints the chairman. That's right. Right. So, That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So then Ryan, you then have to 
find a John Crane to author or carry a bill. If you've written a good bill, like the sports bill, the women sports bill, and then John, you've got to take it, file it, and then you've got to petition to it for it to get on a committee. Do you yeah. do you work behind mm-hmm. the scenes to? Are you working with that committee chairman and say, "Hey, I got this bill. Really would love to get in your committee." Do they have much play over like, "I want this bill in my committee, Mister Speaker," or something? You can, you know? you can <clears throat> excuse me. You can ask to have the bill assigned to a particular committee. Okay. Now, if you've been in the system long enough, you have a pretty good handle where it's going to go. Probably yeah. going to go. Um, so if you're really ahead of the game and you're going, hey, we want to address X, Y, Z issue, and we know, I'll just say education because that's what we've been talking about, but I know it's probably an education issue. Um, we probably have had Jeff Rotz around the table even before we put the bill together. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because I'm laying the groundwork. If I know we want to move this thing, get his input, makes it harder for him to go, no, we're not going to hear that yeah. <laughs> if he's the one that helped craft it. Yeah, that's right. right? That's good. So anytime you can come alongside – um, any constituency, right? I, I'm referenced uh, Senator Greg Sturwald, who's a colleague of mine. He is excellent at this, of bringing together um, constituencies that oftentimes are heatedly and diametrically opposed to one another and gets them around the table and facilitates this conversation where everybody gets input so that down the road, when decisions are made on that bill, it makes it tough for people to go, no, I'm against it. It's yeah. Like, yeah, you helped write it. It's ownership. That's right. Yeah. That's so he's right. giving people ownership. Over right. He did yeah. one, um, 1006, that was related to um, addressing funding issues with the police and, you know, a lot of uproar from BLM and a lot of those folks and uh, got it passed without a single no vote. Hmm. And it wasn't because wow. everybody sold out. It was because he had done all of the groundwork. Wow. In an extremely difficult issue. To get no, so zero no votes on the floor <laughs> of the Senate. And the House. Oh, and the House. Oh, wow. I mean, he's a House member. <laughs> okay. Okay. And gotcha. it was it was so well crafted yeah. and so well coordinated. That's that cool. He, and the only other time I've ever seen that was when Senator Ron Alting worked with a group of fourth graders to make the light, <laughs> the lightning bug the state insect. <laughs> and we all voted for it because uh, who wants to make the fourth graders cry? Boy, if you would have been that one person who didn't vote for it, right, you would have been exactly. crucified you by everybody. children and lightning bugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this it's fascinating. I love, you know, if you're like me, you like to geek out on the process a little bit. And I know you two do. You're very much that way. Um, but let's turn, let's turn now to the political environment a little bit. So coming off this last session, Really, I would say since 2020, if you, this is how I feel. I think I can, I've really been out with conservatives around the state speaking, doing a lot of just like listening, like where are you guys at? And they feel like, I think this is the general consensus as, I, as what I'm hearing is they're just mad. They're mad because 2020, 2021, 2022, really, it, it exposed a lot of things. I heard you say when you were talking to the uh, class here earlier, John, that this was like 2020 was the year of the great revealing or the, I like to call it the year of the great unmasking, you know, and, and you, the souls of men were laid bare. You kind of know where everybody stands on everything. Well, I think really we, we've seen that we've kind of gotten bam- bamboozled a lot by some of our leaders, our conservatives, um, the pro-life fight that we literally just had just a few months ago. There were people, whether it's right or wrong, now that are in our legislate, legislature body that are seen not as being as pro-life as what they might have been touted as being, you know, two years ago when it was easy to be pro-life because Roe hadn't been overturned. There's nothing you can do about it anyway at the state level. So 
So there's a lot of, I would say, righteous anger. Now there's some unrighteous anger too in that, but I would say there's some healthy, like, yeah, this is good. Like the people need to be mad, but then that turns and it can, you can, you can create friendly fire. You can go after the John Cranes of the world where we really know John's on our side, but you know, people can be saying, they'll say, John, what the heck are you doing? Like get in there and like fix this for us. Like, this is a big deal. And you know, John, then you're saying, well, the process is this and we can't just go in. So what is the solution? I mean, where's this balance? Cause I guess my criticism of the Republican party is that it's not the principles. I think the principles are good. I think we've got a great like lineup of really solid legislators in the Senate and the house. What I find that that more often is that I'm looking for the leader to be bold. I'm looking for those bold leaders, and I don't see that anywhere in our party. It probably should be coming from Governor Holcomb, if you're going to be honest. We know that that's not going to happen anytime soon. So what's what's the answer there, John, Ryan? I'll let you both yeah. jump in on this. but Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, we certainly need courage and boldness, and I talk often about being thoughtful, principled, and courageous. Now, if we're going to be totally honest, we as human beings in the human race are not oriented towards boldness and courage, mm-hmm. right? Humanity in our core, we have a natural aversion to conflict and the ability to say, now, wait a second, yeah. I don't think you're right. <laughs> what's what's right? the one thing Jesus always says when he shows up or the angel always says when they show up? Hey, fear not. Right. Don't be afraid. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so so you you take that natural human aversion and then add the political implications to it, yeah. and that's why politicians um, are even less inclined to go, hey, I want to be the one to stick my head up out of the foxhole. Yeah. Or you see what happened to my dear friend Scott Baldwin last year. Oh, when yeah. He was the point man. He's my on, senator. Yeah. yeah. On the CRT issue, and uh, really, in my opinion, was doing a great job, had a misstep, um, and it was a small misstep that got magnified you know, a hundred times over, he take, gets his head up out of the foxhole and gets taken so off. So if you don't know, just backstory on that, he he was kind of sort of a gotcha moment when he was in the committee fighting for a good parent rights bill in education and made us comment that what it's not what he meant, but he was basically saying that, you know, Nazism is n- neither good nor bad is kind of what it made it sound like, which then Stephen Colbert picked it up on national news and and it was honestly, if you listen to the comment, you're like, okay, like anybody in their right mind listening to this knows what yeah, he's saying. Yeah, but they're not inclined to put it in That's context. That's right. They're not. <laughs> so I texted him though. I said, hey yeah, man, if yeah. Stephen Colbert's talking about you, yeah. boy, <laughs> congratulations, you're doing you something good. Well, and, and the point being <laughs> is um, that's hard, and it was hard on his family. I, I had conversation with, and he's a good friend of mine. I respect the heck out of him, um, but everybody else is watching. Yeah. Right. So you see somebody like yeah, take yeah. the hits and it's like, okay. I, I don't want that for my gonna, family. Yeah. yeah, we're all gonna keep our heads down. Yeah. And and I get it. I, I sense that. I, I I have to wrestle with that in myself. But I think the other piece, and this is where um this extends way beyond the walls of the Capitol. Uh, I think that in particular conservatives want the rights to the kingdom without the responsibilities to the kingdom right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's we the people. And you go, okay, then tell me who your senator is. <laughs> That's right. You know, or tell me, and you just, and I'm not trying to bash people. I'm just saying like, they don't know. when it comes to education 
And when it comes to civic literacy, legislative literacy, constitutional literacy, all these literacy issues, we are completely illiterate, mm-hmm. which is why the Hoosier Leadership Series is such a great program because that's an opportunity for people to come together and continue to, to grow in that. And I had a great conversation after I spoke with a number of people who are like, yeah, you know, I know I'm late to the party, but I'm trying. It's like, yes, and you are taking steps on the right road in the right direction. Mm-hmm. The, the more we get informed on content and principles, but also process, the more bold we can get because not only are we strategic in knowing who to talk to, but we know which buttons to push and how to push them and when to speak up and even sometimes when to hold back because if I speak up here, that's actually going to maybe backfire in some Yeah, way. right, it's right. Just, it's a nuanced art. It's a war. I mean, you're you know, in an ideological war. Yeah. I mean, let's just call it what yeah, it is. And, and that's the thing I tell people is, you know, I, I was – Talking about, um, you know, I used to give all the same speeches. When I get there, I'm going to do this, and we're going to stand for this, and I'm going to do. And then, then I got in it, and now when I hear people say that, I'm like, good speech. That's a great speech. How? Mm-hmm. How are you going to do that? Because what you have to do in the legislative process is actually be somebody that can work well with people. I have to get... If I was going to pass a bill back to our previous conversation, I have to get at least 77 people that agree with it, right? I have to get 26 in the Senate, 51 in the House. And then the governor has to sign it, right? <laughs> Good luck with that one. Well, but that's the point. <laughs> that's the point, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you kind of laugh about it, but it's like, look, if I'm going to move the uh, fairness in women's sport, sports, it's not just, hey, can I get it out of the Senate and the House? It's, will the governor actually sign it? He did not. You know, which is okay. So we come back and override the veto. But that's the process. Mm-hmm. You have to understand, you know, how people work and what what kind of moves them in a direction. I'll give one quick example yeah. on this latest thing with abortion. I won't tell you who it is. But we had, you had, even on the Republican side, it ran the gamut. You had oh, some yeah. people that were more pro-choice, actually, and then some that were super, like, to the right, like, I can't compromise because I just can't. Mm-hmm. If I vote for this, I've I've sacrificed babies on the altar, so to speak. And and um, I get that, and I feel that. But it becomes like, okay, how can I save as many babies as possible? It's kind of the right? concept. Uh, Chuck Goodrich told me this. He said, he said, I feel like the orphanage is on fire, and if I can only run into the first floor to get babies out of that orphanage, I'm still going to do it. Yeah. Even if I can't get all the babies. Or do I on say, well, set. I can't get them all, so, so I'm not going to do anything. Do anything. And yeah. so, so when you think about how to, to help people, yeah, <laughs> I had a friend of mine uh, who he was kind of one of these, like, I don't know if I can support this because it doesn't go far enough. And uh, ultimately, early in the process, he was one of the deciding votes that helped us get it out of the Senate. Well, I found out in between before we had our final vote that uh, he's one of those that relishes the combat relishes oh, the, yeah, yeah. the protesters and all this stuff and so those exist i i tucked that <laughs> i tucked that in the back of my head okay and so on the last night when we were having the final vote we weren't sure where it was going to land i was walking off the floor briefly to go to the restroom and he was kind of coming back on the floor and i said hey senator so-and-so i said they're cheering for you out there <laughs> because <laughs> they were screaming at us the whole time i was yeah. like that might help it just that's you know, good. push, just him push over. over the edge yeah. well, that's cool but, but that's the point yeah. right we laugh about it yeah that's how the process works you try to figure out what is it that i can say or do or you know how can i come at this in a way that helps you get a win mm-hmm. you know if you're a colleague 
my goal is to help you get a win because if you get a win, then I get a win, yeah. right? You figure that out, man, you can be really effective in this process. Yeah, that's good. And so, then, so Ryan, you – Yeah, I'll just yeah, jump yeah, go on. Ahead. Is just on the uh, – talking, talking about some of the issues and the anger kind of within – culture i think that's a really good thing you know i think we need to harness that anger and energy in a positive direction and that's where groups like ifi and other activist groups try to come in and try to help oh yeah this is a problem this is there are some major issues we need to address here's strategically how we put that energy in a positive direction to make some positive change so i think you know not to pat ifi on the back but that's you know that's why we're a big reason why we're here but I think the bigger issue of why it's a positive thing is I think for decades now there have been people in leadership um, and in elite institutions, whether it's government or academia, others all over the country, who they they were actually pretty liberal and out of step with the average uh, American and average Hoosier. And people just didn't know it because they weren't held to account. The issues were not raised to a head to be able to to figure that out. And so I think people were a little blind, partly because they didn't know Um and like we talked about with the, the uh, abortion bill and the special session, legislators finally had to vote on this issue because Rose overturned, you know, COVID, you're ha actually having to make these decisions. So on the legislator's side, it's, it's difficult because these are difficult issues and you're having to make those yeah. decisions. But on the other side, I think it's really hopeful for the general public to be able to understand, okay, who's really with us and who's not. And I think one of the reasons if not the reason for Trump being elected the first time around was people, he, he connected with people that understood or had the feeling, had the sense that you know, I'm not represented well. There's this group of elite people that went to elite universities. They're not like me. I, you know, I work for a living and I'm grinding things out and these guys are out of touch and taking all this money and are just not, you know, not me. Don't, don't represent me well. And I think we're seeing that more and more separate the wheat from the chaff to you know, okay, who are the really servant leaders like John and like others down there who are just grinding out a living and just servant leaders and trying to represent people? And then who are others that are just really elitist and separated from the general public and just sort of have this almost dystopian view of, of their love for power and government? And um, I, I think that, that that is separating out and it's helping people to understand Hey, the public school system didn't just go wrong and bad like, you know, la early last year. I mean, there's been problems with the oh, public yeah. school system for decades, but it's been hidden because a lot of these issues haven't been out in the in the forefront. Now these issues, whether it's CRT or transgender stuff and culture and in schools or the pro-life issue or COVID stuff, on and on and on we could go. These issues are out there publicly. And so I think it's awesome in, in one way in that, the public can actually get in there and, and hold folks accountable. And it makes the, the issues a little bit more black and white yeah. to help people understand, okay, what really are the issues? How can we go and address those issues? So in a, in a way it's really negative because in some ways culture is kind of devolving and in some ways it's positive because we can actually understand well, okay, who are the friends yeah. and the foes. The key thing there too is the staying power, mm -hmm. right? So anger lights a fuse, people get all fired up. Uh, I remember, um, in fact, I was meeting with uh, the leadership team that did a big uh, parent event down in Plainfield that you were at, Mike. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so I was meeting with them ahead of time, you know, because they asked for my input. And uh, we probably were together for two or three hours. And the guy that was kind of coordinating it, he's first thing, okay, what do we do? I said, be ready to be in this for the long haul, right? Yeah. I mean, like – yeah. If you want to make change in this area, you got to be ready to be in it for the long mm -hmm. haul. And 
the kind of what I'll call the flash in the pan anger sustains you for a while, but it's just a kind of a flash fire and then it goes back down. And, uh, you know, this, this guy that I'm talking about, great guy yeah. committed, um, within a year. Yeah. They weren't doing anything. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still have their shirt yeah. that I wear to the well, and, it, and, it, and it was a great cause <laughs> and yeah. needed, and it was yeah. right at the heart of yeah. huge issues. Um, but you gotta be in it for the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. And that is just tough on anything. I think culturally we're not oriented that way, right? Yeah. If I don't get it fast, if my, my coffee isn't just right, or my streaming service breaks down, like if I don't have immediate access, uh, then or okay, results I'm, I'm, even. I'm yeah. moving on. Yeah. And, uh, that just, that's not how the legislative process works. Now here's why that matters. There are some that recognize that and go, okay, you bet. And they're the ones that stay in it the longest and make the biggest difference in the direction of whatever their worldview is, mm-hmm. right? And so if you've got people that have a more liberal worldview, but they understand how the process works and that staying power that's required, then they're the ones that are going to make the big change mm-hmm. and move things to the left. And we've got to do the same thing to the right. Um, and keep, it's just keep going, keep going, keep going, you know, that kind of thing. That's a good point. And, and I think that's why, you know, people who I, I just – eventually you're going to get some success if you stay in it long enough. I yeah. think you look at Abraham Lincoln, how many times did he lose before well, he actually look at abortion? Won. Yeah. Oh, I mean, right. That was the thing yeah. that, I mean, from a spiritual standpoint, I was born in March of 1973. Whoa. Yeah. You're old. old. Right. <laughs> but the issue, and I was, and I tell people, in fact, I shared this on the floor in the Senate during that debate. I said, uh, I am the fifth child in our family, but I am the oldest. So I am, I came after my mom had four miscarriages, mm. and, th- and then I was two months premature and came in at three pounds, 14 ounces. This abortion issue has been intricately interwoven with my life, mm-hmm. my entire life. So the fact that I, nearly 50 years later, could be on the floor of the Indiana Senate cool. and be the first state in the nation to overturn abortion after... Praise God. You know, Roe v. Wade... pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. the weight of that... Yeah. I was very real. That's the point. You talk about these people that were back there in the trenches in 73. I remember having a conversation, um, and I won't say his name, but uh, one of our conservative stalwarts, he was in the house for many, many years, and uh, we were on the Bible study, weekly Bible study, and kind of leading up to this special session. Everybody sensed, like, oh, this is going to be a big one. And he said, just remember, there's many of us that were fighting in the trenches for many years that would love to be there. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. You know, on the floor so in that moment. On that note, I was talking to one of my representatives uh, in the House, uh, and he called me the week after it came out of the Senate. So the bill came out of the Senate, and we took a couple busloads down to uh, for the pro-life rally in the Senate. And um, and so he called me the, the next week. It, it got transferred over to the House, and he called me and said, you going to bring in, you coming down tomorrow? Uh, like busloads, we need you down here. And I said, uh, I said, no, I'm not. Like, and he was like, I can't believe you're got coming down here. We need you now more. And you could sense the fear in his voice, right? He just he had this he had this fear, and and so I talked to him for about forty five minutes, and I and I and, and what I told him, I, I at one point in the conversation, I said, I said, I would kill to be in your spot right now. The honor and the privilege and the responsibility to be able to stand on the 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 hill of ending this, 
the abortion scourge in Indiana. What an honor and a responsibility. And he said to me, he said, it doesn't feel like an honor and responsibility right now. He says, it feels he, like you, he literally was saying it's very scary to be in this boat. And I said, yes, it is. But, but think about all the people that have sacrificed so much for, for years to get to where you're at right now. And you get to be the guy that gets to have a voice in this. And yeah. I think, and then I prayed for him. And I think after a while, like, I think he calmed down a little bit. And, uh, you know, I told him, I said, dude, if I have to keep coming down and supporting you, I'm just going to run for your spot and do your job for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's it, right? It, it, I mean, there, it's difficult to describe to folks on the outside how much pressure. Yeah. And, and I would say, especially in today's climate where uh, former rules of engagement have been thrown out the window. Yeah where um, literally it isn't just protesting outside somebody's business on whatever the controversial issue it is. It is potentially burning your business down, yeah, literally. Right, right. Like, yeah. So there's just a different level where you're just like, I'm not quite Persecution sure Persecution isn't do. just a few bad words yeah, now thrown yeah, at right, you. Right, right. Yeah. And, and so, you know, for me, I've always said abortion is a cornerstone issue. You can't fight for the rights of any individual on any issue if they aren't first given the right to life. That's good. Which is true. Um, there isn't anything somebody's going to say or do that is going to cause me to flinch on this. But I had some real conversations with my family and, About, said, yeah. look, and said, "Look, guys, I can't. I can't guarantee what's going to happen. Somebody may <laughs> physically assault us or worse. But this you, you is guys this, carrying. Did this, you get them all? This is get... the battle, right? <laughs> this right. is these are the kinds yeah. of hills that you you do die on. Yeah." Uh, for these reasons, because it's genuinely a life and death yeah. struggle. It's not, you know, like our, our military, and I have come from a military family, so it's a different kind of thing than that. But we saved over 8,000 babies a year yeah. because of the bill that yeah. we were able to pass, and that was not lost on any of us. And it was huge that you guys did it, too. I just want to make this point, because a week earlier, Kansas just failed in That's the right. in the constitutional amendment. If we wouldn't have gotten something through, now it wasn't the best abortion ban bill out there. I, you know, I think we'd all agree that there's still steps we need sure. to take. But if we wouldn't have got something through, then that would have been a huge. Uh, just, I think that would have been a double black eye for the right to life movement in well, America. That's, that's what I've shared with all of my you know colleagues, right to life uh, folks, and and pro life advocates is. Uh, this wasn't just about Indiana and saving yeah. babies in Indiana. It just wasn't. Yep. Uh, because of all the circumstances, because we were the first state after the overturning of Roe v. Wade to actually take it up. We were not a trigger law state. Yeah, that's right. And there were a number of those that already had those in place. Um, and so the eyes of the entire nation are on us. And if we didn't get something meaningful passed, granted, it could be better. Sure, we're still in the fight. We're going to keep doing what we can. But... If we lost that, to your point, Micah, it absolutely disheartens the pro-lifers and emboldens the pro-choice movement, not just in Indiana, but nationally. If yeah. they say, hey, well, if red state Indiana can't get it passed. Oh, yeah. Boy, America doesn't want this. Right. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so the last thing, uh, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate your guys' time today. Um, let's talk about messaging a little bit because – that's the one area I feel like if people, they come to me and say, what can I do? And I say, open your mouth and speak truth to whoever you can speak the truth to. I feel like in, in the conservative movement, we don't message very well. We either don't open our mouths and speak it out very well, or when we do open our mouths, we're speaking out things that are stupid and they're not very truthful or they're not effective in how we say it. 
So from the activist side, that's where Ryan and I more are on. Like I, I feel like I've gotten, you know, at least a relatively good sized platform the Lord has given me to be able to speak out. I don't always get it right, but I, I'm just like, I'm tired of people in the conservative movement not speaking out. So I said, okay, I'll speak out, Lord. You give me the platform, I'll speak out. What I've seen in the legislative side, though, I'm like, okay, where's Governor Holcomb? Like after, we'll take the abortion bill. There wasn't this big press conference. There wasn't a big, like I didn't see on social media people using their bully pulpits in the legislature saying, oh, we just did this. this is awesome. Let's, you know, defending what they did. It was more like sign it quick, get it over with, and let's move on and, you know, put this thing behind us. And, and I remember thinking to myself, okay, this, is a, this has been a paramount issue to your point. For 50 years, why aren't we messaging this out and and sticking it in the eye of the left and saying, no, you're not gonna you're not gonna quiet us on this. We're actually gonna double down on what we believe when it comes to life. But I don't see that in the legislature as much as I would love to see. And I don't necessarily know if we see it in the in the grassroots activism in an effective way. I say, I see the voices speaking out, but it's not always as effective. So maybe from both of those perspectives, maybe Ryan, you hit on it. How can we be more effective grassroots mm-hmm. to message? And then what could we do to encourage our legislators to be more bold when using the bully pulpit, I guess are the questions that I have. Sure. I think it depends on like with the special session, I think part of the issue was it wasn't the perfect bill that we wanted. Right. So I think people came out of that and there are certain parts of the bill they wanted to pound on the table and say, yeah, we did awesome. And then part of it that they want to say, man, that's a, that's a missed opportunity. And so I think that's what kind of muted that a little bit is because you have both in the same bill, right? You have a huge historic victory for life. And you also have some missed opportunities that, you know, could end up being a problem. And so you have that issue. But just generally with messaging, I think something that conservatives can keep in mind is that just assume that mainstream media is going to be hostile. Um, We shouldn't be surprised. And so when we put things out there, we need to make sure, think of it from the perspective of if a hardcore liberal was going to try to get a hold of this and push this out to all the wrong people, you know, how would this, what clip would, would they take? Play, right? Yeah. <laughs> because that's most, most of the paid full-time media people are our enemies. And that happened to you a little bit in RIFRA. Tell tell us about that. I don't know yeah. if they necessarily were able to take something you said out of context, but no. they were certainly <laughs> chomping was, at the bit to come after you. Yeah. Like, to, to, like yeah, you so, were the voice to yeah. RIFRA in Indiana. Sure. So when RIFRA in 2015, uh, when it passed and most people don't realize it passed overwhelmingly through the house yeah. and the Senate signed by the governor. And then it was well, and what does RIFRA stand for? Religious freedom restoration act, okay. uh, had been in, in on the federal level for many, many years. Bill Clinton signed it into law. Uh, Ted Kennedy <laughs> voted for it when he was in Congress, you know, not really that controversial at the time. Um, and it passes Indiana and of, of course the well orchestrated effort by the left to undermine it. So basically in order to give some legislators some cover who were, you know, helping lead the bill. I just went on and did a lot of national media. I did like NPR in Boston and I did like uh, CNN when, uh, when uh, Chris uh, Como was still there. <laughs> I did a long segment with them. We just went back and forth and he's just hammering me. And so, I mean, most people don't get that opportunity, but um, you know, I, I think what you want to do is you want to put something out there that, that you can, um, if, if leftist folks are taking a look at it, you know, how can they twist it in the worst way possible? I think the wonderful thing about conservatives 
are as we t- typically are salt of the earth, God fearing people who love, you know, mom and apple pie and God and the flag, you know, and we don't think the worst of people, right? We yeah. put things out and just think everybody thinks like me, you know, the left we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They'll right? give me the benefit. Right, of the exactly. Doubt. Yeah. Where's the left? Just no. a totally different communication method, yeah. method, right? They know that most of the country is not with them on a lot of these issues. And so they purposely try to message to make them look more like us in certain situations. They have a very different message depending on the audience. We don't always do that. And so yeah. I think that's really important to know the audience. And we're just putting things out there in the media, you know, assume the the most hardcore, you know, folks on the left you know, our Charlie, Charlie Kirk, like when he was here, he said something to the, to that point. He said, we don't have the luxury of messing up in yeah. our messaging. Right. And he, he just made this point. He said, I study, he gets up every morning. He studies for three hours every morning, he turns his phone off and he goes and like studies Hillsdale online classes or he's reading history, Aristotle, you know, Rome, the Roman Republic, American history, scripture, like all this stuff, because he knows he doesn't have the luxury of saying something wrong. And even slightly, you know, wrong because he'll get hammered on it, you know, the moment he does that. And I think maybe that's kind of what you're saying is you, we have to know what we know and know why we know it. Absolutely. We just got to know. I I think sometimes conservatives act surprised like, oh, the media took my quote out of context. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's what they're paid to do. Like, these people are not our friends and never have been. It's obvious that they're, you know, might as well be a branch of the Democrat Party at this point. Yeah. Just assume you're going in, you know, and talking to the, to those folks. So it's yeah, good. I, I totally, uh, totally with Charlie. So they've never been our friends. They they're they're not our friends, and yet in the legislature, I feel like the senators and representatives and the governor sometimes try to make them our friends by being super kind to them, going out of our way, and it's like if we just give them this, and they'll be nice to us, and they'll treat us better, and then we realize, oh man, they're not being nice to us. We we bent over backwards for him. And so why don't, why don't we see more uh, of our representatives and senators just using the bully pulpit to just go after them? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, I think it goes back a little bit to what Ryan said. Um, you know, I, I, part of it is uh, we're Hoosiers, right? Like <laughs> there's something to that. Yeah. That, Hoosier that, hospitality. Yeah, no, yeah. there really is. Yeah. Uh, you're inclined to, to want to assume the best generally mm-hmm. um, and want to believe the best and want to get along and all those kinds of things. And uh, I think Republicans were more like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said often that uh, our Democratic colleagues, and I, I respect my Democratic colleagues, I categorically disagree with them on many things. Uh, one of the things that they do an excellent job on is using the bully pulpit. But that's because that's about the only thing they have, Yeah. right? Um, they do not have in our state the capacity to be able to leverage any kind of meaningful uh, legislative power um, because they're in a, such a small minority. But they use that bully pulpit, and so uh, what it ends up doing is is putting the Republican side in a very kind of reactive posture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we've had conversations about that, especially more recently. We've got uh, newer senators coming in that are like. Kind of like you're articulating, like, yeah. what are we doing? You yeah, know? let's go on the and, offensive. Yeah, yeah. And, and and not, um, and this is where I would push back a little bit, not with the idea of sticking it in somebody's eye, because at the end of the day, what do I want? If I could wave the magic wand, I want to convince as many folks that are in the middle or to the left that the right conservative philosophy way of doing things 
is the right way of doing things, Yeah. right? And so I've got to figure out how do I help them entertain that? That's why I use that standard line on abortion. You can't fight for the rights of any individual on any issue if they aren't first given the right to life because you can't disagree with that. Or some of the other things that we say in abortion, well, you know, a woman's right to choose. And you just simply ask a, a gentle but pointed question. Does that include the unborn woman in the womb? Yeah. Well, there's a war on women. Okay, does that include the unborn woman in yeah. the womb? Yeah. Well, Black Lives Matter. Okay, does that include unborn <laughs> black babies in the You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Not having to, like, just rub their nose in it, but expose, to me, the fallacy of these talking points, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we heard in the hallway, I wrote down a number of the chants that I was hearing while I was sitting on the floor, and one of them <laughs> is, pro-life is a lie. They don't care if people die. Yeah. I was right there. I was right yeah, next to him when they were saying that. Like, uh, yeah. It's like, they were yelling okay, at me quite a bit. that yeah. sounds good. You know, that's what they were doing too. They were saying, liberal, they were know? saying, uh, my body, my choice. And I would yell out, except for the vaccine. <laughs> right, right. You know, but and to that point, like there are certain inconsistencies. So yeah. I say that to say that um, we are more naturally inclined towards wanting to get along. I think um, that also lends itself to, we have a culture in our state of not having um, a lot of uh, political leaders that are trying to make a name for themselves, right? Trying to build their platform yeah, in the order brand. to be something, yeah. right? They're just trying to do good work as best as they understand it. And that's different. You see a lot of the, I mean, I could name some. Well, of like Ron DeSantis, whether he tried to do that or not, he certainly created a brand. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. He, and, and Ron DeSantis does a great job, even in our state. Jim Banks, I think, is doing a great yeah. job yeah. of saying, hey, here's what we're doing. He's leveraging his platform in a right way to bring uh, attention to the issues. My sense in the time that I've been there is that we don't have a number of Republicans that are even inclined to do that. Like, I don't need to call attention to myself. I just want to do good work. That kind yeah. of yeah. mentality. I think that's good, right? Yeah. That's a that's that's kind of the humble servant spirit. Sure. Um, to your point, though, we do need thoughtful people who can articulate the conservative message. And sometimes, too often, on the conservative side, and it's it's um, it's at every level, local, national, etc. Um, we get too caustic, and it becomes more about how can I make look the other side look bad, yeah. um, versus how can I help them understand the issue and why that issue matters for all of us, yeah. right? That's why I always say the church, um, unfortunately, for too many years, has um, gotten itself sidelined from the public square, either by choice or by circumstance. And yet the church understands at its core what we're all trying to do because politics is downstream from culture. Yeah. But what's upstream? What's upstream is the clash of worldviews. Yep. And whoever wins that is what sets the agenda, everything downstream. So the church has the essential knowledge for what we need and posture for how we need to advance key, key values. Because, uh, you know, the Christian worldview isn't just a slice of reality, it is reality. And if we understand that, then we understand that that has implications for every single human being, whether they actually realize it or not. Right. So let me ask a question. So is there ever a time, in, as you see it, that we should be like Elijah on Mount Carmel and 
and say, you're the prophets of Baal. You're not the Israelites that I'm trying to convince. You're the, you're the enemy. Now, I know our, our war is not with flesh and blood, but they had been so deceived by the demonic that he ended up mocking them for their foolishness because they what they had given themselves over. He was making an example out of them so Israel could see how stupid they were. And then the Lord showed up, rained down fire from heaven, and then he put them to death. Now, I'm not advocating we put people to death over that. That's but, good. But, but, <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I, we need you to win your election in a yeah. couple of years, so I don't <laughs> want to put you in a place. No, but the uh, the... But I do think there's a time and a place to mock the foolishness of the world and how how dumb they. I mean, because they're literally okay. trying. Yeah, they're literally trying to say that boys can be girls and girls can be boys. Okay, now, you know. But here's the thing. Yeah. Who? I mean, using that particular example. Yeah. Who was he mocking? He was mocking the prophets of Baal. He right. was mocking what I would consider to be the spiritual leaders. Yeah. In that environment, not the political leaders. Okay. Or people, the average person who may... He was at war with Jezebel and Ahab, though, the the political leaders. Okay, but he wasn't mocking Jezebel and Ahab, right? He was mocking the spiritual Now, my point is, I think where we err is we tend to punch first and then break bread second if we get that far, right? Um, On all sides. Uh, Back in the fall of 2019, there was the Red Fred rally at the Statehouse, 15,000 public school advocates uh, came down to the state house <laughs> on a non-budget year. Well, yeah. And, and so they, they, they asked me afterwards, Senator Crane, did that help? Was that a, you know, I said, well, I think it's always good to come down, let your voice be heard, but let me be honest with you. Um, the most effective hour I had during that day was when I sat down with uh, representative Jeff Thompson and a small handful of folks from Danville where they had just had a referendum fail spectacularly. And it was splitting the community right down the middle. And there were probably six of us in the room, maybe eight, each side kind of represented in that. And we were kind of helping navigate this hour. I said, it was a great conversation. The biggest takeaway from that was, in my estimation, both sides walking away, realizing that the enemy wasn't sitting across the table from them. That at the end of the day, we're actually caring about our kids in our community. We might have different ways of how we think it needs to go down, but we all theoretically want the same thing. Now, there is evil in our world. Yeah. Absolutely. There is an appropriate time to be that prophetic voice and to bring uh, a harder message and a harder strategy. Where I see it is frustration breeds a punch-first philosophy yeah. that backfires every time yeah. with the decision-makers who are in a position to actually make the decisions versus the handful of people I know, some of whom have come through the leadership series, who on their own have worked really hard to build meaningful relationships, understand who the key people are they need to talk to or where the key next step is, and actually have moved some some stuff. I always talk about my friend Doug Weinberg. He was pivotal in creating what was probably the most effective but least talked about issue that I've been a part of, and that was the care portal. Yeah. Nobody talked about it. It wasn't a bit, but if somebody got a hold of that and went, man, this is a good idea, it could absolutely revolutionize all kinds of things. And he just worked with me and Senator Andy Zay and the House and just quietly made this thing happen. Right? He's going to be here in an hour and a half talking about oh, well, there the you go. care portal. <laughs> there you go. See, you didn't even pay me to make that little. That's right. That little. Like, who's your leadership? Set. Who's your leadership series? So, yeah, yeah, but he's a perfect example of yeah. what I'm talking about. 
And, but he understands how to be thoughtful yep. in that. And uh, some people think, well, if I if I come strong at them, then they'll really, you know, it's a it's a it's a fear based strategy, right? Like if I come strong, then their fear will make them do mm-hmm. whatever. In my experience, on the inside, that may work with some, but what it will do more often is you will just lose access, yeah. right? Like if somebody keeps coming at me hard, it's like. Okay, I don't need to be punched in the face again. I'm gonna. I got plenty of other people that need my attention over here, and you're you're still on my list. Yeah, but you may have just dropped out a few <laughs> a few pegs there. So, well, and I think that's I, maybe I would, and I agree with you what you're saying there. I think one of the the key points that I'm maybe sensing that the church and godly men and women need is they need discernment, right? Like yes. they need to know when right. it's the time to approach a a fellow citizen who's not the enemy sit down with them not punch them in the face right or like proverbially like the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. metaphorically right yeah. like but the uh th- but then then they also need the discernment to say hey these are the quote-unquote prophets of Baal now I mean these are people that are literally anti-god they're anti the things of God they're anti-american values they're literally trying to destroy everything good that we know you have to I mean when we when I was down at the state house for the pro-abortion rally on that Monday I mean there were not too many people out in the hallway now this is not the legislators but there were not too many people out in the hallway where I looked on the other side and I could, and I could say, geez, like, I think you are a rational human being that actually is willing to have a conversation. I, I really saw that them as more of the, the, the prophets of Baal in some sense. And I, and I, so I got in, I got kind of got in the fray a little bit and I would just sort of start mocking them a little bit for the foolishness they've given themselves over to. I think some people like, you know, don't like that. And well, so yeah. here's the question. Yeah. Here's the fundamental question. Yeah. It's a question we all have to ask, and it's oversimplified, but it's effective. What would Jesus do in that situation? Yeah, I think even for those, because I saw yeah. those folks, and it's it was, it was not good. Yeah, to put it mildly. Yeah, what would Jesus do in that situation? At the end of the day, of course, he has the advantage of seeing their heart, and that's a manifestation of how they're acting. Um, he still loves them. Oh, sure. Right, and lovingly yeah. tries to correct them in that. And I think that's where, you know, and none of us is anywhere close to Jesus, but we have that model to say, okay, how can I thoughtfully engage with these people? And yes, there is a time to, uh, you know, when he comes in and, and throws stuff down in the temple, right? But that's all contextual as well. Um, you know, the, the desecration of the temple his interactions with other people are such that that's why he's so attractive. And we, in this hypersensitive culture, to Ryan's point earlier about the media and, you know, this whole thing of like, if you flinch even once, everybody's got a camera and you're going to be on it and then they're going to blow it up into whatever. Uh, We have to be that much more vigilant to try to model that to the best of our ability. And it's, it's not easy. It's not easy in day to day. And it's definitely not easy in the mission field of politics and the legislature, but that's one of the things I try to tell fellow Christian legislators is you cannot flinch. You have to try to do your very best in word and deed in every interaction to try to be Jesus to that person. Yeah. Something else on messaging I that's think good. gets lost a lot of to circle back to the first 
point I made about the media is hostile and yeah. they're not our, our friend. I think something else that conservatives lose sometimes is there are a lot more good conservatives within government, within a lot of areas than they realize, but the media won't cover them. Either, either the media will cover yeah, them to right. mock them yeah. or they most likely just won't cover them at all. That's right. right. Yeah. And so you have great people like Michelle Davis who authored our women's sports bill and she recruited 50 co-authors before we even got the bill introduced. And you got, you know, just like Jeff or, uh, um, uh, John mentioned several other legis- There's a lot of good legislators down there. A lot of times they don't get attention because the media They're too doesn't want to highlight them, <laughs> yeah. right? And so I think that concerns conservatives as well. They're like, why is nobody speaking out? Why why aren't we hearing anything? And it's like, well, the people that are paid, you know, daily the date, to go out. The gatekeepers, and, yeah. yeah. That are paid to do this That's job. Right. They're purposely trying to shut out people that share your values, yeah. which goes back to our point about people being angry because of people elites in the yeah. in the culture that are deceiving. I mean the media are right in there and I think people should. You talk about Elijah and have righteous indignation. Yeah. I think people should have some real righteous indignation against the media. Yeah. Because they're purposely have been deceived. And this isn't new. I mean the media have been doing this, but they're so open about it now. Mm-hmm. They've been doing this for decades. Yeah. And now they're just so open about it. As I deal with media, I see that all the time. And that's that's an area where we should have some righteous indignation to say to to warn others yeah. about. Sometimes we can mock in a I think a positive way in order to show others before they jump in that same. That's hole. right. That's what. Yeah. Another example would be Riley Children's Hospital. Yeah. Most people think of them as the gold standard. They've been doing transgender stuff for six years now. They you know prescribe puberty blocking drugs, cross sex hormones. Everyone encouraging minors towards surgery later down the line. You know they ought to be they ought to have their name out there in lights. People yeah. ought to know. They're doing awful things. So it just depends. But in that situation, you don't call if you're, if you're John's your senator and like, you know, give him an angry phone call. Why aren't you shutting Riley Children's Hospital? Yeah. Well, you know, like know the process and know the strategy here. And (laughs) yeah, let's make, let's make Riley well known. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing the bad thing. Yeah. You're going to yell at John. That doesn't make any sense. And as a gatekeeper, I I felt that a few years ago and I I was like, we're not going to get any love from the media and stuff like that. So yeah. that's what I just kind of took it on myself. I said, fine, I'll, I'll create my own, my own platform, right. you know? That's and right. I feel like that's, you know, one of the things that, well, and I think that's yeah. the key, right? Yeah. Is I think finding good spokesmen for yeah. our cause. I always use the word thoughtful and that means how we think about the issues, but then how we can thoughtfully articulate them is huge. Yeah. And I think there's an opportunity and a huge space for that. Um, but we also need a little training to your point of figuring out how to do that in an effective way. And yeah. then just, Build your platform as big as you can get it. That's good. Guys, thank you so much you for bet. what you're doing in the state. Thanks for being here. And uh, it's uh, it's if, if people want to know more about uh, where they can find information on you. I don't, John, I don't know if you want people to know where they can find information. No. <laughs> <laughs> on the, on the uh, Senate stuff, uh, they can look, up, look me up on the Indiana General Assembly website yeah. uh, pretty easily. Um, on the leadership stuff I do, they can go to craneleadership.org. Cool. Craneleadership.org. Ryan? Indiana Family Institute is hoosierfamily.org. Indiana Family Institute, the website is hoosier, like H-O-O-S-I-E-R, family.org. And and what's a hoosier? Uh, that's a good uh, question. That's, that's We a, need a whole segment on that. You need a whole, a like, three hours. podcast right there. That's exactly right. All right. Well, guys, thanks so much, and uh, thanks for listening. This has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics, and uh, we're always addressing all those crazy issues in our culture. We'll catch you next time. See ya.